Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is May the 25th, 2018, uh, and we are on the eve of another Memorial Day weekend. So um, to those members of the military, I salute you, your sacrifices, and particularly those of the fallen who gave their lives, paid the ultimate price so that we could enjoy our freedoms, enjoy the democracy, enjoy the uh, incredible country that we are fortunate to live in, the United States of America. Uh, and, and, you know, I have to tell you, it, it infuriates me with all the uh, verbal assaults and all the attacks and all the craziness going on with all of its flaws, and no country is perfect, no person is perfect. I don't know of any other country that has done as much to be fair, even-handed, um, demonstrate respect and opportunities for everyone in the United States, and I am super proud of being an American. I know my parents were. My mom was an immigrant who came here ahead of the Holocaust. My dad's parents came from Russia under the Tsar, uh, and they all thank their lucky stars to be able to come to the United States. And um, so I, I salute all of our members of the armed forces again as we approach Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and we are going to talk, obviously, about immigration. Those of you who are familiar with me know that my issue, in point of fact, is immigration. And um, so, so the point of the matter is that while the open borders anarchists, as I've come to refer to them, uh, would say that you're anti-immigrant if you want to enforce the immigration laws, in point of fact, those of us who believe in secure borders, not sealed borders, but secure borders, and those of you, like myself, who believe that we need to have effective and fair enforcement of our immigration laws are not anti-immigrant, but we are simply pro-enforcement. Our adversaries, and let me make this clear, are not pro-immigrant, although that is how they are labeled in the media. If you oppose secure borders, if you oppose fair but effective enforcement of the immigration laws, laws that have nothing I mean nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. They are laws that were enacted by Congress in order to protect American lives, American jobs, and the well-being of our nation and its national security. If you oppose those goals, those issues, you're not pro-immigrant. You're an anarchist. You are an immigration anarchist, and it's time that we started to use honest and descriptive language. It is not a matter of political correctness. That's wrong. This is Orwellian. This is about language control to achieve thought control, and we have every right. Indeed, I would argue that we as Americans have a mandate to push back and push back um, vigorously, peacefully but vigorously, against this fake narrative that is misleading so many well-intentioned Americans who somehow have been drinking the Kool-Aid. It's time that we serve the new beverage, the beverage of truth. And that's what this program is about, to provide the information, the perspectives, 
the facts that the mainstream media refuses to cover. It wasn't always like this. Journalists used to be held in high regard, and I know there are some folks that may disagree with me, but people like Walter Cronkite and Harry Reasoner and Edward R. Murrow and Huntley and Brinkley and all those others were purveyors of the truth. Now, yes, sometimes they got it wrong, and sometimes maybe they couldn't help but to permit their political orientation get in the middle of a story. We all come to issues with the prejudices that life gives us. If you've been sickened a half dozen times by eating a certain seafood, you probably will shy away from that seafood because of past experience. I really don't believe that they were willful the way the current crop of supposed journalists have become. The truth is the truth, and there's only one version of the truth. Uh, we can argue about interpretation of the facts, but let's at least start out with the real facts, not fake news, not alleged statements that have no bearing in reality, not misquotes, not this game of gotcha. Uh, I don't always agree. In fact, I often disagree with Newt Gingrich, but he was right during the presidential debate last go-around when he talked about the game of gotcha that the journalists perpetrate on the candidate's political office let's have an honest open conversation and let's do what we do as investigators as a federal agent the facts steer the investigation you get on board and the facts take you to the ultimate uh, final station the conclusion of the investigation you don't do an investigation with a preconceived notion you go in with an open mind and you look to gather all the facts and all the evidence you can, and then you start to make decisions and come to conclusions, but not until the facts have been assembled. And that's all that I ask of our journalists, but apparently today that's too much to ask for. So my program is here to provide you with the alternative to the nonsense that's often paraded as facts when it's nothing more than fiction. Um, and, I, and I want to let you know, those of you especially who are my regular listeners, how much I appreciate uh, you joining me at the end of the week. Because this is such an important situation, uh, this issue of immigration. And America right now is being challenged from so many directions. And unfortunately, it would appear that very few politicians from either party, this isn't a left-right issue, it would appear that the politicians from both parties are more beholden to their campaign contributors, a.k.a. their bribers, than they are to the law, to the Constitution, to their oaths of office, and to the promises that they made to their constituents when they were out on the campaign trail. Uh, we're seeing it with proposed immigration legislation. No effort is really being made to solve the immigration crisis. You know, a couple of weeks ago I spoke about a hearing in which um, Peter King focused on Iranian sleeper cells in the United States. So, so think about that. This is now almost 18 years after 9-11, almost 18 years. It takes my breath away. We've had hearing after hearing after hearing where the issue of sleeper cells and sleeper agents has been raised. I've raised the issue of sleeper agents uh, at a bunch of the hearings where I've testified some as far back as 14, 15 years ago. And what do we have? More hearings, more dire warnings, and no action. 
we are doing nothing to address the issue of sleeper cells. If anything, so-called sanctuary cities have done tremendous harm by enabling bad guys to embed themselves in those communities and guess who faces the consequences? We the people. Because if you can establish a sanctuary city and if you can attract, because those cities aren't sanctuaries, I call them magnet cities, magnets for fugitives, for terrorists, for criminals, for gang members. If you attract that nature of vermin, and you know it's interesting, I use the term vermin, President Trump used the term animals to describe members of MS-13, and Nancy Pelosi took umbrage at that. Really? How do you describe violent individuals whose actions are on par with ISIS? I mean, this is the kind of lunacy that now passes for civil discourse. There is no civil discourse. And where's the media in all this? For the most part, missing in action. So, you, you, in fact, I'm working on an article um, that will focus on Ms. Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who called out the president for describing terrorists, uh, a.k.a. MS-13, because they are terrorists. When you can kill children, when you can rape children, their motto is kill, rape, control. When you can dismember bodies, remove hearts from the chest of the person you killed, when you can behead people, and then you refer to them as animals, that there's a politician in public office who would say that that's not a fair statement. It's not fair to animals. Animals don't kill for sport. They don't kill for pleasure. They kill to survive. They kill because they're attacked or they kill because they're hungry. Animals can't go into the local Burger King and, and pull out their wallet and, and buy a hamburger. So they have to kill other animals to eat. Their survival is on the line. MS-13 doesn't kill to survive. The people that are there don't kill to survive. They kill as an intimidation tactic to recruit new members. This is a gang such as uh, that which we have rarely seen. Some of these individuals make the mob look like a bunch of Cub Scouts. There is no code of ethics with MS-13 and other transnational gangs like them. And if you look at the hearing that Peter King did a couple of weeks ago, and he did a hearing about the gangs as well as did Jeff Sessions when Sessions was in the Senate, there's a nexus between these violent gangs and ISIS and Hezbollah and all these terrorist organizations. So we know this. And what have we done? Sanctuary cities, harbor and shield, fugitives from all over the world, terrorists from all over the world, criminals from all over the world. And if you dare speak out against them, you're labeled a xenophobe. You're told that you have no compassion. No compassion. Well, I wonder what it takes to look the parent who lost a child to these gangs in the eye and say to them, oh, you don't like MS-13, you lack compassion. They also are missing their child. And it's just amazing. It's truly amazing. Because when you stop and think about it, the lie that we used to be spoon-fed by the immigration anarchists, and I insist on using that term henceforth, I hope you will also, it is honest and is descriptive. Anarchists don't like law. And this is anarchy. Okay? And so if you look at the immigration anarchists, they used to say, well, the immigrants commit much less crime than American citizens. Now, here's the funny part. Actual green card holders, lawful immigrants, tended to be very law-abiding. They valued that green card. 
They certainly didn't want to do anything to jeopardize it. They behaved themselves. They did what they had to do to make a living, support their families, and live their little thin slice of the American dream. Illegal aliens, uh, again, I hate to make a reference to animals, but they're a horse of a different color, aren't they? They're here in violation of law. They feel they have nothing to lose. They feel they've gotten away with it. And by the way, uh, as I've noted in congressional hearings, it's been noted that you get only one opportunity for first impression. The first laws aliens entering the United States or seeking to enter the United States encounter are our immigration laws. People like Pelosi and Schumer and Menendez and all these others have convinced people from all over the world that in the United States, violations of our borders and violations of our laws are not only tolerated, but they will be rewarded. They will be rewarded. Chuck Schumer, who went out there just a couple of years ago, pounding the podium and saying anybody who trespasses on critical infrastructure, anybody who trespasses on national landmarks needs to go to jail for five years. We need a new federal law. Trespassing is dangerous. We don't know who they are, and when they do what they do, they put lives at risk. Five years in jail. And if you went to Schumer's website, his official U.S. Senate website, he even made note of a 16-year-old airheaded kid who climbed the World Trade Center tower that was under reconstruction or under construction. Uh, You can't even replace what was there. Uh, And that's why the new tower isn't built on the footprint of the previous towers. It's not a replacement. You know, it's it's a... um, it's a, it's a new building built on the site. But this kid climbed that tower to take a selfie and was arrested. And Schumer talked about that 16-year-old kid, and we've got to put these people in jail. That's great. He might be onto something, but here's the point. The same Chuck Schumer has made it clear that in his mind, if you trespass on America, you've now earned the pathway to United States citizenship. Usually, when we try to figure out if someone is trustworthy, and it's difficult, we've been obsessed with the truth forever. You know, you have the spy movies with truth serum and lie detectors and polygraphs because we're obsessed with the truth because bad guys all have one thing in common. They lie. Lying is the common denominator for terrorists, drug dealers, thugs, embezzlers, whatever. Lying is one of their tools of the trade. And so we're obsessed with whether or not someone lies. One of the indicators that someone is not to be trusted is when they keep on manipulating and altering the language and when they demonstrate inconsistencies and hypocrisy. Have I just described Mr. Schumer? Gee whiz, I just might have done that. I just might have done that. Schumer took to the microphone to call out President Trump when the media disingenuously, that's a fancy word for lie, when they disingenuously accused the president of referring to all immigrants as animals. Trump didn't say that. In fact, I was on NRA TV earlier this week, and they played the video of the president making the statement, and he was as clear as day. He was crystal clear, crystal clear that he was talking about members of MS-13, that he referred to as animals. The media misrepresented what the president said. I guess they thought they could get away with it. It shows you how ignorant these idiots are that call themselves journalists. They were videotapes. They were videotapes. 
Roll tape. There it is. What's the president saying? Crystal clear. So they had to kind of retract it, and Trump, not being a wimp, took them on, got in their face, and doubled down, as he should have, and said, I stand by what I said. They are animals. They kill children. They rape them. They kill people. They're savages. And he went on. But meanwhile, before the media straightened out the story, Chuck Schumer couldn't wait to get in front of the cameras, pounding the podium, my grandparents were immigrants. They're not, they weren't animals. This is Chuck Schumer. So you have to wonder, did Chuck know that the media was lying? Was he in on the lie? God only knows. I'm just tired of this, folks. I am so tired of it. I'm a registered Democrat. Democrats. I don't know what they are, but they certainly aren't Democrats. And they certainly aren't pro-labor. I'm a Democrat because I'm pro-labor. My father, who was a tradesman, a construction worker, a plumber, will always be my biggest hero. Always. My mom, right next to him. My two biggest heroes in my universe. And I have so much empathy and so much respect for blue-collar Americans. They build something. They built this country. They're the backbone of, the, of this country. They are the backbone of the American dream. They build the hospitals and the schools and the roads. They build everything. Where in the world would we be without those tradesmen and tradeswomen and all those people that put blood, sweat, and tears into their jobs every day, and they're being undermined by the Democrats and the Republicans who are flooding America with cheap, exploitable labor, and we're being told today that if you don't think that we should be exploiting people, then you lack compassion. How in the world is exploitation a demonstration of compassion? The reason someone intentionally hires illegal aliens is not out of compassion. It's an outrage to even think that that's the case. They do it to exploit them. They do it because they can work them in a way that you couldn't get away with working an American, couldn't get away with working someone who had a green card, pay them substandard wages, treat them like trash, and then we're told if you don't support that kind of exploitation, you lack compassion. If that doesn't turn logic, reason, and truth on its head, I don't know what does. Up is down, down is up. This is right out of the Ministry of Truth from 1984. So I'm giving everyone listening to the show a homework assignment. If you haven't read it or haven't read it recently, get 1984 by George Orwell. Please read it. It's a short book. It's a book that's not a good bedtime story. It will keep you awake at night. But you will understand easily the garbage that's being heaped on us by both parties and by the news media. Controlling thought through the control of language. It's newspeak. It's Orwellian. It is not political correctness. Get it straight. Political correctness means you don't use language that impugns other people, that insults other people, that offends other people. And I'm right there on that issue. The N-word or any word that smells of it is off-limits. Out the window. Done. Finished. That's political correctness. What we are being subjected to is Orwellian newspeak. Control thoughts through control of language. I've had enough of this garbage. I hope you have had enough of this garbage. And let me give you an example of how two-faced the media is. And this is my most recent article for frontpagemag.com. Please go there. Please go to frontpagemag.com because I wrote an article uh, and it was published on May 21st. And um, if you haven't seen it, please check it out. 
If you like it, I have a favor. Post it on social media. Send your friends the link. Tell your friends about my program, about my website, michaelcutler.net. I need your help to help spread the word. I need you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. The mainstream media sure as hell not going to do it, are they? Not hardly. So the title for my latest article for Front Page Magazine, Illegal Immigration, the Tale of Two Countries, Canada versus the United States. And then the subtitle, Hypocrisy Thrives in the Immigration Debate. And what I wrote about was a sign that was posted along one of the two borders that separates the United States from the countries that are next door to us. Let me read the sign, and you tell me who you think was responsible for posting the sign. Stop. It is illegal to cross the border here or any place other than a port of entry. You will be arrested and detained if you cross here. Guess where that sign was posted, and guess who put it up? Well, first of all, I'll give you a hint. That sign does not appear anywhere near our southern border, the border we share with Mexico. So that's off the table. So that leaves only one more possibility, the Canadian border, and you would be right. But guess what? folks, that sign was posted on the Canadian side of the U.S.-Canadian border. And the point that they made was that Prime Minister Trudeau, the guy that's all about open borders and we're all going to sing Kumbaya, is all upset because recently they've experienced an increase by 30% of the number of um, illegal um, number of illegal aliens who've em- entered Canada or attempted to enter Canada from the United States. So we're talking about now under 3,000 aliens per month, and the Canadian government is worked up over it. And in fact, they're upset about people claiming political asylum, and Canada dispatched some of their ministers to go to Africa, to the countries that many of their political asylum applicants come from, And they also sent their people to the United States to visit ethnic immigrant communities in the United States to warn them that if you try to run the border with Canada, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be sent back, we are not going to take you. We will not let you in. Now, think about that. What in the world do you think would happen if President Trump said to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Jeff, Go to Mexico and meet with the Mexican people. Go to Guadalajara. Go to Tijuana. Go to all these places. Go to Matamoros and warn the Mexicans and the people from other countries who are here, there illegally or aspiring to come to the United States, the caravans and so forth. You warn them that if they cross that border, we're going to arrest them and deport them. Do you think the Canadian government would, would allow or welcome in Attorney General Sessions, or any other representative of the United States government, if that person was going there with the intentions of dissuading Mexicans from coming to the United States illegally, I guarantee you the Mexican government would be staging riots. The news media would go berserk. They would have a meltdown. They'd say, what in the world are you doing? You're so unfair. You're so unreasonable. Look at those caravans of illegal aliens headed this way. And who's down there coaching them, teaching them what to say? Well, my sources in Congress have told me that 
this isn't an, an argument. They're convinced that among the coaches who are helping the illegal aliens or aspiring illegal aliens to get their story straight are American immigration lawyers. If you want to talk about real collusion, there's collusion. They're going down there, and they tell them, if you get stopped by the Border Patrol, immediately you yell out political asylum, political asylum. What doing about it? Nothing. Here, the United States welcomed in the Canadian ministers, the Canadian government representatives, had them meet with members of the immigrant communities in the United States and told them, don't go to Canada, you're going to get arrested. Think of the noise that was made when Attorney General Sessions went to the U.S.-Mexican border on our side of the border and said, we're bringing in more prosecutors if you run the border, we're going to arrest you. If we arrest you and charge you criminally, you're going to be separated from your children. I had a reporter call me up. Oh, my God, Mr. Cutler, from a conservative website. A conservative website. Mr. Cutler, my God, they're going to separate children from their parents. I have an 18-month-old child. I'd go insane if they took my child from me. I said, really? So tell me something. Would you drag your 18-month-old child through the desert? Would you give your 18-month-old child or or your 8-year-old daughter or or your 10-year-old son to the care, so-called, of alien smugglers who are known to rape women and beat men and kill people and extort money? Would would you give your child to the care of those individuals? Because that's what these aliens are doing. Would you drag your 18-month-old daughter through the desert where the temperature is 130 degrees, where there's no water and no shade? Would you drag that child through a desert where there are poisonous snakes and poisonous insects, where there are criminals everywhere to be found? Would you do that? Because you see, in the United States, in most cities, most states, if you put a young child in the back of your car and go driving without putting the child in an approved safety seat and fasten it properly, and you're pulled over by the police for speeding or running a red light, and they see a child bouncing around on the back seat. You know, I'm from the generation where no one even knew what car seats were for children. We all kind of bounced around on the back seat, and there were no seat belts in the car either, and no collapsible steering columns. It was a very different world. But today we live in a world where we understand the dangers, and we've tried to mitigate the dangers, airbags and seat belts and harnesses and child safety seats and crumple zones. And so if you are reckless and drive a child without using a safety seat, God help you if you're drunk, they're going to put you in jail. You will go to jail. That child will be taken from you. Your car will be taken from you. Your license, your freedom will be taken from you. Your money, they're going to hammer you eight ways from Sunday. So how in the world do you stop the practice of aliens bringing their children through the desert where many of those children die. They don't survive. They pick up bodies all the time, not just children, but adults. They are too slow. They get separated from the smuggler, and they just die. They have rescue teams, the Star teams, Border Patrol agents. Their primary mission is humanitarian, to provide water and medical care to people who get stuck in the desert and are dying. So how do you stop that practice? And I've said this for the longest time. I've written about it, and I know that members of the Trump administration who I've spoken to, especially as the administration was gearing up to take office, and I said, why in the world aren't we prosecuting 
people who intentionally put their children at risk by bringing them through that dangerous desert. And that's all that Sessions, or now Attorney General Sessions, is trying to do. Everyone's had a cow. Oh, my God, you're going to arrest these people and take their children away? How do you stop people from acting criminally and recklessly? How? The point of the matter is crimes need to have consequences or the laws don't matter. So Attorney General Sessions is doing something rational, reasonable, and I'm going to tell you what, compassionate, compassionate. Don't drag the child through the desert because you're going to go to jail and you're going to be charged with endangering the child. You're going to be charged with an illegal entry into the United States. How different is that from the sign that I just read to you that has been put up along the U.S.-Canadian border by the Canadian government? What the Canadian government is warning people is if you break the law, you will pay a price. You will go to jail. That's all that Jeff Sessions is saying. He's not saying, we're going to go to your houses and take the children away from you. But the way it's been portrayed in the media, you would think that that's what they're doing. You would think that the agents are going to people's houses and taking their children from them. Not so. If you violate the law, you go to jail. How many Americans right now are sitting in jail, not because they committed violent crime, but white-collar crime? Try to defraud the IRS, see how quickly they come and prosecute you. Launder some money, see what the consequences are. Sell stolen property, see what happens. And many of those people, American citizens in the United States, are sitting in jail cells, and they have children. Are they living with their children? No. Did they go into court and say, Your Honor, I have a child, please. I know I robbed some banks, but goodness, I can't leave my child alone. They'd laugh at you. They'd laugh at you. America's borders are its first and last line of defense. And I want you to think of immigration law enforcement in a very different perspective this evening. And I guess it's appropriate because, again, this is Memorial Weekend. If you think about the all five branches of the United States military, What's their primary mission? There's a common mission for the Coast Guard, the Marines, the Navy, the Army, and the Air Force. What's the common mission? To keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. During the Second World War, we know that those Nazi dirtbag saboteurs came to the United States on U-boats. One of the targets that they had in mind, if you read the history books, it's fascinating, was Grand Central Station. Why? Because Underneath Grand Central Station was, a, was a, a, a converter or an inverter that would turn AC current into DC current, something needed by the trains. The Germans wanted to stop the American trains from bringing materials to the docks where the Liberty ships were sending those materials, including weapons and so forth, to Great Britain. So the Nazis made a decision that we're going to blow up Grand Central Station and take out the inverter so the trains will stop and the Americans won't be able to replenish British supplies. How do those saboteurs come here? Today we use the word terrorists. Well, the saboteurs came in U-boats. There's no U-boats today delivering saboteurs. If you look at most of the terrorists, they've come on airliners, something we haven't addressed, something we haven't addressed. So if you look at the mission of immigration authorities, It really is a follow-on to what the men and women of the armed forces do. 
at a distance, the responsibility for keeping those enemies away from us falls to the military. Closer in, the U.S. Coast Guard. But once you get past that and you get to our seaports, you get to the land border ports, you get to the airports, that job is part of DHS, the Department of Homeland Security. Of course, it's been so ineffectual, I've come to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender. But please understand the true significance of America's immigration laws. Look at the statutes that govern who's to be admitted and who's to be excluded. Not about race, not about religion, not about skin color, not about ethnicity. If it were, I could not have enforced those laws for 30 minutes, let alone 30 years, folks. Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182, provides a list of categories of aliens to be excluded from the United States. It starts with aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Why is that? Because um, Ellis Island was a quarantine station. You didn't want people coming in with tuberculosis, coming in with typhoid fever, coming in with other diseases that would sicken and endanger the lives of Americans already living here. Aliens who are mentally ill, same story. They're excludable. Aliens who are criminals, murderers, rapists, drug dealers, gang members, arsonists. Gun runners, they're excludable. Aliens who are fugitives from justice. Aliens who are war criminals. Aliens who were previously deported. Aliens who are terrorists and spies. All to be kept out of the country. And then you get to aliens who would likely become a public charge because they couldn't support themselves. Or aliens who, if they were coming on temporary visas, had no authority to work, were likely to work and take the jobs that Americans need So they wind up either displacing American and lawful immigrant workers or at the very least driving down wages and working conditions. That's what the laws are about. Where is there anything unreasonable in any of that? And the answer is there's nothing unreasonable. What's unreasonable about a homeowner looking through the people when a stranger knocks on the door and saying, you know, I don't like the looks of that guy. I'm not letting him in. That's what we're talking about. I wish President Trump was more articulate than he is. I have conniptions over his uh, inability to use language precisely. Let me give you an example. We all know what the travel ban is. In reality, the original executive order that we're talking about that came to be called the travel ban by the liars in the media was actually, and I, I may get the title slightly sideways, I don't have it in front of me, but essentially it was, protecting the nation from the entry of foreign terrorists into the United States. Is that bad? I think that's good. If we could have kept the 9-11 hijackers out, the World Trade Center wouldn't have fallen. Those airplanes wouldn't have crashed. More than 3,000 people by now, because so many have died since then, more than 3,000 lives would have been saved. Not a bad outcome. Not a bad outcome. So the president took the lessons prior attacks gave us, took the lessons that were articulated in the 9-11 Commission report. By the way, I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. And he took that material and said, okay, we're coming up with an executive order to protect America. Immediately it was called a travel ban, and the emphasis in the media was that these were all Muslim-majority countries. Well, if the president was trying to keep Muslims out of the United States, he was doing a crappy job because – the Muslim population of all of those countries on the list 
amounted to about 15% of the world population of Muslims. 15%. 85% had nothing to worry about. Lie after lie, lie after lie. This is the game that was, that's been played on us, been played on the administration. And so they started to call it the travel ban. And what is the president now calling it? The travel ban. i got to tell you, I doubt that the president is listening to my show, but if you're listening, Mr. President, language needs to be used with precision. Not a sledgehammer. This is a scalpel, and you need to use precise language. Uh, I did a speaking event. I think I was going into Montana. Uh, my, my friend Paul Valley, General Valley, very honored to um, consider Paul Valley a friend. I've been to his home. He arranged a speaking event for me in Montana. What an amazing experience. I met his family. True American hero. True American hero. Um, he lost his son in, in the military. I mean, this is a great American family. So I was on my way to Montana. I was just getting off the airplane. I just turned on my phone. The phone rang. My friends at One American News called me. I do, uh, I do uh, the Graham Ledger program occasionally. Um, I haven't been on in a while, but Newsmax has had me on quite a bit. Uh, NRA TV constantly. I love doing NRA TV. These are people willing to tell the truth to their audiences. So One American News calls me up and they said to me, Mike, how do we describe the president's uh, orders on, on terrorists entering the United States? Everyone's calling it a travel ban, and we really don't like the words. I said, well, why don't you use the language of the actual executive order? It's very descriptive. It's very clear. They said, well, it is, because we're looking at it. But you know what? It's lengthy. My gosh. It's, I mean, this is the problem with America today, folks. We, we have become a country of ADD. We have attention span. Of, of a goldfish and so they said well it's just it's too long can you boil it down to just a couple of words i said a couple of words preventing the entry of foreign terrorists into the united states or, or protecting the nation from the entry of foreign terrorists is too long yeah it's too long can you come up with just two or three words and guess what i came up with i called it an entry restriction entry restriction how different is the imagery of entry restriction over travel ban? Travel ban sounds draconian. No one's getting on any airplanes. No one's getting on any buses. We're ending travel right now. Travel just ended. Go home. Is that what the president did? No. Is that, was, was that the purpose of his executive order? Absolutely not. So what was the purpose of President Trump's executive order? to restrict the entry of foreign nationals who have no inherent right to enter the United States. Let's remember that. Let's underscore the point. Under the law, we cannot ever, under any circumstances, prevent the entry of an American citizen. When an American shows up and knocks on the door and says, I want in, honey, I'm home. Come on in. We may hold you for another law enforcement agency. When I was an inspector at the airport, I held people who were wanted for murder and bank robbery and gun charges, all kinds of crazy stuff, but I could not turn them around. Aliens do not have to be admitted. Under the law, it's very clear. So this is an entry restriction. You do not have to allow a, a, a stranger into your house. Same idea. 
Of course, if the police or federal agents show up with a warrant, that's a whole other story, but that's not what we're talking about. If some guy bangs on your door and says, can you let me in? You look through the people, you say, boy, this guy looks scary. I'm not letting him in. Isn't that reasonable? That's all that we're talking about. But you see, reason and logic and fairness have nothing to do with the news reports today. The agenda is simple. Take down the borders, flood America with an endless supply of cheap, exploitable foreign labor. Flood America with an endless supply of foreign tourists. Flood America with an endless supply of foreign students. Think about that. We are educating Chinese engineers and computer programmers. China, Iran, and Russia are the countries that most frequently hack our computers. 24-7, every minute, every second, our computers are being hacked. Private computers, corporate computers, government computers, military computers, law enforcement computers, hacking away. Hack, 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 hack. And what are we doing? We're educating the Chinese hackers who are hacking our computers. We're educating Chinese engineers who are building the Chinese military so when China rattles their sabers, the sabers were designed by the engineers that we train. And very often, they steal our secrets because foreign students who study in the United States are entitled to get optional practical training. And what does that mean? They can get a job working for a company in the United States which all too frequently enables spies to steal us blind. And China's gotten very, 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 very good at it. Most favored trade status. Yes, they are our allies. Sure thing. And if you believe that story, I've got a bridge to sell you. How in the world do you think North Korea got its missile and nuclear technology? You don't think China played a big role? China is its big brother. China is its big brother. So what we're doing now is leaving our borders wide open so that the schools get that unlimited supply of students, Chamber of Commerce is happy because it's all about more tourists who are going to buy more tickets to more ball games and shows and restaurants and buy trinkets and so forth. Oh, and let's not forget one other category besides the exploitable workers and its clients for immigration lawyers. And think of how many lawyers are in Congress, a number of whom practice immigration law. Do you think that they're upset that America has an endless supply of clients for themselves if they leave government and their friends who practice immigration law? This is a perpetual motion machine that is a conveyor belt. The immigration system, I hate to tell you this, folks, you know, you keep hearing the system is broken, the system is broken. Don't you keep hearing that? The system is broken. We've got to fix the system. Now, of course, we can't arrest everybody. So let's legalize everybody. Does that end the crisis? Does that fix the problem? That's like saying we can eliminate all the crimes in America by declaring all of our criminal laws null and void. Then no matter what you do, you're not violating the law. And now you can claim you live in a crime-free country. How wonderful. How close are our cities getting to that point? In New York, they're saying, well, Generally, people of color go to jail for smoking pot in the street, so the mayor has ordered that the police not put people in jail if they smoke pot. Mr. Mayor, I doubt you're listening, but if you're listening, just make sure the laws are equally enforced. No one, and by the way, I don't know that that's the case. That's the claim that's being made. 
that people of color are more likely to go to jail for smoking a joint than people who are white. If that's the case, it's wrong. I agree. shouldn't be that way. So let's make certain that that sort of nonsense doesn't happen. And if you smoke pot in public, go to jail. And I'll tell you why I believe that and why I'm upset about legalizing drugs. America is facing a drug crisis. We've never had more people die of drug overdoses than right now. Now, I certainly agree that not everyone who smokes pot is going to, quote, unquote, graduate to heroin and opiates. But I can tell you as an agent, and I spent nearly 15 years of my career with the Drug Task Force, a four-year stint. I was the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Then I spent 10 years with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, Most of our informants were involved with narcotics. That's why they were helpful to us. Just about everybody that I ever interviewed who had become hooked on hard drugs, cocaine, crack, heroin, meth, just about all of them started with marijuana. Okay? If you're trying to get the crisis under control, why would you legalize marijuana at this time? Seriously. Why? This certainly isn't going to help anybody. So we see all this anarchy that's going on. And meanwhile, what's the net effect? We have no idea who's in the country. We're warned about sleeper cells and sleeper agents. Hezbollah, Hamas, um, the Quds forces, all sponsored by Iran. There's over 200,000 of them believed around the world. All well-trained, well-equipped. And just about all of them, according to testimony at this hearing this past month in April, on the sleeper cells, uh, all of these players apparently saw combat in Syria. So these are battle-hardened soldiers, and many of them are in Latin America. And yet you have members of Congress refusing to secure the border. You have Menendez screaming about how it's a wall of hate and it would interfere with commerce. Menendez, if they put up the wall... It won't block the ports of entry. It will just funnel all of the commerce through the ports of entry so it can be inspected. This is as stupid as it gets. But do you hear anybody in the media making fun of Bob Menendez for making such outrageous statements? Of course not, because they're all in also. They're all in. And people say, well, Trump is a bigot. He's a racist. He's against the immigrants. No, he's not. I've been accused of being anti-immigrant. Who accused me of that? The Anti-Defamation League. That's particularly upsetting. When I was in college, when I was in high school, I was the president of the B'nai B'rith group. Um, For those of you not familiar with Jewish service organizations, the B'nai B'rith is a service organization, Jewish-based, just as other ethnicities, other religions have such organizations. And, and, And we worked with everybody. Uh, We did quite a bit for St. Jude's Hospital, uh, built by the great uh, Danny Thomas. Uh, Amazing. We would go out there and collect money for that. So we did all sorts of stuff. And and we also, of course, uh, honored the traditions of of the Jewish faith. We're all Jewish people, and we did that the way that Christians do, the two great religions that, you know, do this sort of thing. So anyway, the Anti-Defamation League is a wing of the B'nai B'rith. And because I have spoken at events where I've called for secure borders and an immigration system that has integrity, I was labeled by the Anti-Defamation League 
as being anti-immigrant. It's infuriating. It's painful. I'm giving thought to talking to an attorney, to be honest, because this isn't the way that we have conversations in America. This is about intimidation, something that the other side calls lawfare instead of warfare. We'll charge at you with our lawyers if we don't like what you're doing. How in the world do you have discourse and discussion when everyone has become so litigious that the solution to anyone saying something you don't like is we're going to get the lawyers after you? How is it anti-immigrant to say we need to be careful that we don't let terrorists and criminals into the United States, that we don't let gang members into the United States, that when we find out that these people are involved in those nefarious activities, we need to get rid of them. And by the way, I know you've heard the arguments. We shouldn't be deporting the aliens who don't have criminal histories. But most of those aliens with no criminal histories are working. And that means they're taking the jobs Americans and lawful immigrants desperately need to have. Why wouldn't we want to deport those people? Of course, we should prioritize those who pose the most serious threats first. But why would you give a pass to people who are taking the jobs that Americans want? And I'm working on a story about that that will blow your mind. Because believe it or not, we have a situation where State Department has apparently facilitated the entry of foreign workers who have displaced American workers on a wholesale level. And the attention was drawn to that by a wonderful report that was done by a producer at CBS. She's now involved with 60 Minutes. I had a pretty good conversation with her a couple of weeks ago. Amazing story. So I'm working on an article for Front Page Magazine about how that is all happening. You see, If you look at what's happening in America today, the middle class and it's the working poor that are being being hammered into oblivion, there is an oligarchy in America, and it's not the Russian oligarchy, it's the American oligarchy. And its mission, if you will, is to destroy the wage structure and enrich their bank accounts even more. You know, I was just speaking to someone a little while ago, and I said, you know, when someone goes into a food store, a grocery store, and steals a quart of milk and a, and a loaf of bread, you empathize with that person. If I was a police officer and saw that happen, I'd have to buy that person a bag of groceries because he or she is desperate. You have to be desperate to go into a food store to steal bread, eggs, milk, whatever. That's a person who needs serious help. But the people that are behind the destruction of the middle class the people who are demanding open borders at a time when it threatens national security and public safety, these aren't poor people. These aren't middle-class people. These aren't rich people. These are fabulously wealthy beyond the dreams of avarice wealthy. And they're doing it. They're doing it. You know, six mansions isn't enough. We need a seventh. And the 737, that's eh, kind of old. I could go for a 787, perhaps, you see. That's how wealthy they are. This is illness. This is pathological. We all are here for a short visit. We are. And as you get older, you become more appreciative, and the clock ticks a little bit more loudly in the background, reminding us that our days are numbered, reminding us that 
It's important to do good deeds and to be fair, to be compassionate, but not the oligarchs of America. They make the robber barons of the 1800s and early 20th century look like Boy Scouts. These individuals are hell-bent, hell-bent on remolding the world in their image, and it's coming at us from both sides of the aisle. The Koch brothers are funding the dreamers the same way George Soros is. Think about that. This isn't a left-right issue, folks. This is a right-wrong issue. This is about flooding America with enough foreign labor that the wage structure will crumble. What's the point? How many houses can you live in? How many airplanes can you fly in? How many suits can you wear? How much food can you shovel down your throat? This is a pathology. It's a pathology. And we, the people, have allowed our government to stop representing us. That's our fault. That's on us. That's on us for not doing our homework, for not standing up to these thugs. That's our fault. And I'll tell you, I don't believe that you can be a good parent if you're not involved in politics. I know politics stinks. It's filthy. It's disgusting. I had people approach me a while back about running for Congress. I got angry with myself because I actually entertained that notion for a couple of days. I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with it. But we do need to push back. We do need to let those people in those elected positions understand that, number one, we're not nearly as stupid as they hope that we are, and that, number two, we're not going to put up with their garbage anymore. We need to get involved in the primaries. We need to speak out. We need to work with our neighbors. We need to reclaim our government. Because this is not working. Both sides of the aisle have sold us out. Democrats and Republicans, they're in on this together. If you want to talk about collusion, I would argue that where immigration and border issues are concerned, you have collusion. The collusion between the Democrats and the Republicans. They both want the same thing. And the fights they claim they're having are nothing more than a charade. It reminds me of what I used to watch when I was a kid and watch the wrestlers. And those of you old enough to remember Buddy Rogers and Haystacks Calhoun and Antonina Rocca and all those others, it was an act. You thought that they were killing each other. They'd spritz ketchup on each other. It looked like they were bleeding. And I can assure you that when the match was over, they went out, had dinner, and laughed about what they had done when they were in the ring. Big joke. Well, that was entertainment. That was entertainment. What these politicians are doing to America and Americans is not entertainment. It's a dangerous game. It's undermining our national security. It's undermining our public safety. It costs innocent people their lives day in and day out. And it increases the risk on a daily basis over the next devastating terrorist attack. And on top of all that, you can look at what this has done to the wages of the hardworking Americans. It is decimating the wage structure. Both sides of the aisle bear responsibility. We, the people, need to take back our government 
by making certain that we are involved in the political process. It's very simple. You know, my parents raised me, and I'm sure you heard this, in polite society you don't discuss religion and you don't discuss politics. Religion I agree with. Whether a person has a relationship with God or not, what religion doesn't matter. That's as private and personal a relationship as any human being is going to have. And we don't need to have those conversations. Unless it's with somebody we know well and, and we're having the conversation. But certainly at a party, I, I get that. But politics, folks, we better have those conversations because sure as hell the mainstream media isn't providing the truth, particularly where politics is concerned and especially where immigration is concerned. And that's where you come in. I need you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. I need you to spread the word about my website, michaelcutler.net, about my articles at frontpagemag.com and the social contract. Get involved. Get involved. As we celebrate this Memorial Weekend, um, you know, I just want to have you um, take a moment to think about this. I worked very closely with the Israeli government over the years. My first fraud investigation caused me to uncover a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery. So from that day on, I had a great relationship with the Israeli National Police. One day over dinner, one of the police generals who was here in New York said to me, Mike, as an Israeli, I love America. We think of the Americans as our big brother. But he said, why is it on Memorial Day America has barbecues and linen sales? In Israel, we have an equivalent day, and on our Memorial Day, everything stops for a minute. People get out of their cars, they turn off their radios, they turn off the engines, and they bow their heads in prayer and remembrance for those who gave their lives to protect our country. And I will tell you, every t ever since I had that conversation, I think about it every time Memorial Day comes up. So here's my idea. How about if we see in Memorial Day an opportunity to exercise our First Amendment, freedom of speech, get our voices heard, get the facts out there, engage our neighbors in those important conversations so that we make the government truly accountable. As Lincoln said, government of the people, by the people, for the people. That's a job that all Americans must do. Remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Again, I thank you for joining me this evening. I hope you'll be joining me again next weekend. But uh, this weekend, have a great time. But please don't lose sight of why we have Memorial Day weekend. That weekend is a special weekend, and it's been set aside to remember those who made the, the, the uh, ultimate sacrifice on behalf of America and Americans. Good night, everybody. See you next week.